Welcome back to LPD Cast. I'm your host, Eloy Garcia, and today's guest is Alexia B. Martinez. She is a second year graduate student at California State University San Bernardino in the College of Arts and Letters, and she is pursuing a master's degree in communication studies. Alexia is the 2021 2022 Graduate Equity Fellowship recipient for CSUSB's College of Arts and Letters. She is also a graduate teaching associate where Alexia teaches an oral communication class to undergraduate students. In addition, she was part of two research projects working under her professors on coding social media posts and artwork. In her studies, Alexia focuses on the marginalization of women's bodies in Western media through intersectionality. Alexia's research papers were accepted at the CSUSB Student Research Competition. International Studies Association and the International Communication Association. And she came in first place for the three minute thesis competition. Thank you for being here, Alexia. Hi, Eloy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. To begin, could you talk to us about your experience as a graduate student conducting research? What has that been like for you? Yes, of course. So entering the graduate program it was definitely a new experience because during my undergrad, I never performed research. So entering the graduate program at CSUSB, I was entered into a new world that I was not familiar with. And oftentimes it left me having a little bit of a feeling of imposter syndromes where I had to essentially fake it till you make it. But I quickly learned that my cohort and you know my, my peers and I, are all getting the same type of feelings. So in this realm, I was really supported by my professors and the faculty and staff to research. So this really began with my interest in focusing on women's bodies and how they're represented in the media. From there, I stemmed into more of digital media. So looking at the body positive movement. I explored topics that I was much more familiar with and I was much more interested in researching. The reason why I focus on topics that were more of my interest is because when you have a certain passion or a, a lot of interest in a certain topic, it fuels your journey. So not only did I feel like I was forced to do something, it's I wanted to research a topic. I wanted to explore more. I wanted to learn not only for the program itself, but for my own personal interests, my own personal exploration into looking how women's bodies are depicted in media. So from my initial research journey of looking at how women's bodies were depicted into media, I looked at how the body positive movement works to encourage women to accept their body, especially women who are often set off to the corners or to the side that are even more marginalized in a group that's meant to empower one another. From my research in the body positive movement, I incorporated intersectionality. Now, Intersectionality is a key element in my research because I look at women who are the most marginalized. So intersectionality essentially is the overlapping layers of social identities that are systematically oppressed in society. So how these overlapping layers of social categories contributes to an individual's identity. So this looks at women who have multiple layers of oppressive identities. So this includes race, gender, physical appearance, also includes sexuality, class, religion. So all these oppressive social categories that are not easily accepted in society, especially since we live in a white patriarchy that only abides to whiteness, thinness, and being a male. So I incorporated this element of intersectionality to explore the body positive movement, to see how the body positive movement suppresses women of color or women of larger size. Specifically, I looked at plus size black women, such as Lizzo, who's at the forefront for social change, but I'm looking at how she's also being suppressed, how she's also being discriminated against, regardless of her social economic status. Thank you for describing that for our listeners. And the term intersectionality is was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, right? That's the person whose work we are adding to and contributing to. It's really interesting that you found these spaces of marginalization 
in a microculture of body positivity where we would think that those outliers don't exist. Why do you think this happens? That regardless of the spaces that we're in, marginalization happens. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so the reason why I think that there's even more marginalized spaces in a community that's meant to deteriorate marginalization is because communities like the body positive community tend to be co-opted by white, thin, socially acceptable women. So when we have women who are thin, maybe of a different physical appearance, but they're still socially accepted, they will have that single layer of oppression. But when you compare that single layer of oppression by someone who's still socially acceptable to a plus size black woman, they don't have the same life experiences or social acceptance. So when the community is getting overwhelmed with women who are still permissible in society, they're still socially accepted in society, they tend to go at the forefront. Those are the women who are featured because they still have something about them that the public applauds, that the public accepts. But when you have women of different ethnic backgrounds, women of different class, like these overlapping layers of their identity all put together, they're put at the back burner. That's why we tend not to see them at the forefront for the body positive movement. And what do you propose in your research as far as solutions for these issues? As far as solution for issues, I more so highlight the problems. So what I found in my research is that there is not enough research out there that highlights how there's marginalizations within groups. So although it's hard to propose a solution, I need to raise the awareness that there is a problem. So there is a problem out there. And the problem is, is that we're further marginalizing women in a community that's meant to empower other women. I perform a case study. So with a case study, I'm looking at a highly publicized event that occurred that represents a bigger issue. So I'm looking at how intersectionalities incorporated into the body positive movement. Well, I looked at Lizzo and Jillian Michaels, the case that had occurred. So essentially Jillian Michaels had said, why are we celebrating Lizzo? Why are we celebrating her body? Why don't we just celebrate her music? Because it doesn't matter if she gets diabetes. So she said a very problematic statement that caused such controversy around health, body, and the overarching topic of feminism. So they're both feminists, but they both have different life experiences. So Lizzo has a different life experience being a Black plus size woman, while Jillian Michaels has a different life experience being a white, thin, socially acceptable woman. So I explored the elements of intersectionality in how we have these two public figures, which arguably are benefiting from their socioeconomic statuses. There are wealthy women, but regardless of their wealth, we're still seeing Lizzo, who's a black plus size musical celebrity being oppressed by a white woman. So we're seeing the reoccurring themes of policing women, especially a marginalized woman. That's heavily predominant right now. So from that, I explored the reoccurring themes that regardless of how successful you are, how famous you are, how much wealth you may have, all, all the accolades, all the achievements that you can have, you still are going to be oppressed because of your overlapping layers of social categories. In society, you're still going to be discriminated against. So we can learn so much from Lizzo and all the changes that she's making because she's at the forefront. She is seen as the sacrificial saint because she's leading the change, but she's also at the forefront of receiving negativity, of receiving criticism. So we can learn a lot from Lizzo right now, especially as she's not only representing her own community as a Black plus size woman, she's representing marginalized groups of different ethnicities, of different shapes, of different sizes, of different abilities. Thank you for providing that context and for letting us know the case study that you focused on. Jillian Michaels, she's someone that's very popular in the fitness community, and she said so much about what we value as a society in that statement, and that's incredibly ableist because Mm -hmm. diabetes and other diagnoses don't happen 
in the same way for everyone. So for her to say, let's celebrate this part of this human, but ignore or judge and criticize these other aspects of them really just goes to show what she values in people. And that really seems like its appearance. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yes, most definitely. In my thesis, I argue that Lizzo is being criticized by Jillian Michaels and Jillian Michaels is enforcing the stigma that a woman's health is defined by her physical appearance. So I argue that, that it's deeply problematic because not only is she centering Lizzo as unhealthy, she's centering bodies like Lizzo as unhealthy. She's enforcing that stigma that woman's health is defined by her physical appearance. And from what I understand, Lizzo's vegan. Yes, Lizzo is vegan. She's very active. If you've seen her concerts, she is moving up and down the floor. She's dancing. She's singing. She has these high energy performances. She also speaks a lot about how she's active in her outside of being a performing artist. So Julian Michaels is just enforcing the stigma that has been rooted way back when so she's she keeps enforcing the same stigma and not only is it problematic she is a public celebrity she is enforcing the acceptance that you can criticize women's bodies by their health which is odd but it speaks a lot to her history being the host of the biggest loser Right. She was a host of the weight loss reality TV show, The Biggest Loser, which in the title of its own is very negative. The Biggest Loser. It's a weight loss reality TV show. So they were, she has a bad rap. As a public and as consumers, years after these shows air, we end up learning the nuances of the show that may not have been helpful and may not have been positive for the people participating or even healthy. We need to remember that these shows are quote unquote, reality TV, their production, they're creating a show that they want to garner views for. So on its face, it may seem like we're doing something healthy for these people, but in actuality, they have an agenda so that they can get their views and that their show can be seen as something positive. When in reality, I think that they're doing less about showing the participants how to be healthy and more to have them accept and adopt the ableism that is involved in weight loss and in this idea that the thinner you are, the healthier you are. It's like we don't hear as much outrage when we hear things about people starving themselves to fit into a dress. Like we just heard someone very popular at the Met Gala, you know, lost 16 pounds through starving themselves essentially so they can fit into this dress so they can be on this red carpet. And that's okay. It's like, it seems like that's okay. We don't get an outrage. People aren't talking about how unhealthy that is because the person is in a thinner body. And we see it as, oh, well, that's a goal they accomplished. When that's really, really unhealthy and can be really hurtful to your body. I've kind of noticed that this is more specific towards women. Let me know if if that's incorrect. Why do you think we have stricter expectations on women's bodies versus that of men's bodies? That is definitely rooted into patriarchy. So it's rooted back to how the male's always seeing as the first sex, as a dominant figure. Women were always seen as the lesser. Um, that could be due to the fact that they do lack a penis, but also symbolically that because we lack a phallus, we are always seen as second. We are seen as essentially the doll to be, to be molded. So we are molded, we're scripted to be a certain way. We have such heavy restrictions because the male, it's patriarchy. It all roots back to how man created all. Women were just part of that. They're just part of the creation, but they were meant to support men. So we're always seen as the supporter, the mother, the caretaker, the nurturer. We are there only for the support. We're only there for their ideas. Patriarchy, white patriarchy sets the standards for women. I'm really glad that you brought up that one figure who starved herself because to, to fit into the Megala because I've had seen nothing but articles supporting that. 
supporting, highlighting, oh, this person's lost 16 pounds to fit into the stress. But yet when we have people like Lizzo who may show more skin or might not be as conservative as plus size women should be, right? According to patriarchy, plus size women should be more conservative, should cover themselves up, should not embrace their bodies because they don't fit the societal standards of beauty and body standards. When they wear something a little bit, quote unquote, out there, there's so many articles talking about that. Oh, look at this person. Oh my gosh, she is so brave. Why do you have to be brave to embrace yourself? You shouldn't be brave to embrace yourself. You should have that. You should have that natural confidence, but we live in society that doesn't applaud confidence. They just critique it. But yet we have thinner women who lose even more weight to fit into a dress and there's just raves and roars about it. Yes, I completely agree. So in connection to you being a second year graduate student and conducting this research, what can you share with our listeners that are also first-generation students that are interested in doing research? It could be this type of research or something else. What can you share with them about the process? What did you learn about how to prepare to conduct research? Because it's a pretty lengthy process. It's not an easy process. It requires quite a bit of support. So what can you tell our listeners about how they can prepare to take that on? Yeah, so I am a first generation student. So when I did enter the graduate program, it was a brand new role that I was introduced to, especially since it's so centered on theory and research. The first step of advice that I would recommend is probably reaching out to those on LinkedIn alumni. So it's very much different experience being Hispanic and reaching out to someone who does not share the same life experiences or understanding of performing research because a lot of students do have parents who have gone to college who have more familiarity with they want to explore i did not i have to start from the ground up and it first began by reaching out to those who were in my shoes before me Now, I understand sometimes that can be awkward because there is underrepresentation. There are not many people who may be similar to who you are that are performing research. So the next step that I would advise for those to do is to talk to your teachers, your professors. So luckily at CSUSB, we do have a diverse set of communication professors in the graduate program. So I did reach out to them and I did let them know, well, how do I go about processing research? How do I go about looking into these areas? How do I know if this area is so saturated? Like, what can I contribute to scholarship? What angle can I propose? That begins by looking at what's out there, reading the research, what is published out there. So if you have a particular topic of interest, like I wanted to study women's bodies representation, which is heavily, heavily studied. It's been studied for decades, decades. So I looked at what was out there. I Googled women's bodies in media, and I will look at where it says limitations or future recommendations. So oftentimes when I would look at those areas, I would say, okay, let me write down what they recommend for those to do in the future. What should be further explored? Also, when looking at these databases of what research is out there, what's there and what's not there speaks a lot. So if you're looking like I did at the body positive movement, there was very, very few articles about the body positive movement, which speaks loudly to how it's not been heavily researched. It has not been explored yet. So it does take some time to look around, but the staff here at CSUSB, your professors are often, they're there to support you along the way. So even though there might not be professors at the school that you're in, there's professors at other schools can help you along the way. All it takes is just reaching out to them because I know being a first-generation student, it is difficult because I felt like entering the program, I did not have the support. I did not have anyone to relate to, but that just gives us more obstacles to overcome, which the first being is having to reach out to people, having to reach out and letting them know of your experience because the professors are very understanding that you're a first-generation student. You come from this type of background that you don't have this type of support and they'll connect you with those who have 
gone through the same experiences. And LinkedIn has been such a great help. LinkedIn, I've connected with so many people on LinkedIn and I have connected with so many people from the Latinx community that are, they do have their PhD, that do have their masters. And it's so great to connect with them on LinkedIn because there's that virtual world where we're exposed to so much more than what we think inside the classroom at our own schools. Thank you so much. You know, a common theme here at LPDCast is for us to ask for help to learn to ask for help and to not be ashamed of it. Because like you're saying, those professors have been in our shoes before. So they usually know what we're going through or they can, especially if they're from our communities, they really can relate and they will provide a wealth of information. So for our listeners, I, I definitely second that everything that Alexia just said, you know, look into what you're interested in and see what hasn't been researched yet and ask for help because no one person knows everything. And something that I've learned about being in higher education, it's a big benefit to rely on our community. Don't just ask one professor, ask several professors, ask professors on different levels with different levels of tenure, because they will all be able to contribute to something that you didn't have before. And that's the point, right? The point is for us to be, to cast a wide net and then get all of the help that we can, because at the same time, we're establishing relationships with these people. Right, exactly. And especially since these professors at colleges, they've been here for many, many years. And if they're tenure, they've, they're going to be here for a long time. So they will connect you with others who were in the same shoes of research or who were from the same background too, if it helps for comfortability. But that's the one thing I've always told my cohort and those who are coming into the graduate program is do not be afraid to apply yourself and to ask for help. I have gained so much insight on all the resources that are available at Cal State San Bernardino that many were not exposed to or were unaware of. So I've had a couple um, of my close friends who are in the program now who are asking me for my help and I'll send them, hey, apply to this conference. Did you know you could get funding? Did you know that they have all these opportunities available or that you can apply for a scholarship because you're taking a certain class. And this is all information that I had to learn on my own. So the, the opportunity is there. It's sometimes it might not be communicated well, but it does not hurt to ask. And I've had asked so many questions. So even, even if they have very specific criteria, I even ask, will this apply for me? Do you accept this type of background for myself? What else is out there? Hey, I'm going to a conference. Is there any type of funding? You'll be surprised at how much is available. All it takes is asking. The worst thing that they could say is no. And if it is a no, they will connect you with someone else who will know, or they'll connect you with a different opportunity. So you will learn a lot. And especially for those who are first generation who want to pave the way for others, People will learn from your own experience. You could share, share that wealth of knowledge to another who can learn from their own and it will get passed on. It's a learning experience, but I'm, I'm glad that I can make an impact on others by sharing what I know and what I learned from my own. Thank you. And speaking of the opportunities that you've had, can you talk to us about the CSUSB Student Research Competition? What is that? The CSUSB Student Research Competition is a competition that CSUSB holds where students get to share their research. Now, oftentimes people think research is the end of a project, the end of a paper, the end. Research is always in progress. You're never done with research. So even though I am near completing my thesis, I'm never done researching. So research can be something like composing a literature review of what other scholars had said. That is research. It could be your methodology. What is your plan of proposal to address certain research questions? That is research. So research is a never ending work in progress. So the great thing that CSUSB holds is the opportunity to present and essentially compete alongside other scholars. So when you are presenting your research, there are people from different industries and also different experiences and backgrounds from different colleges that can probe at your research and actually give you great recommendations on where you can further develop it. So I am part of the Department of Communication Studies, but I have received excellent feedback from the Department of 
social and behavioral sciences who had recommended me to explore women of different ethnic backgrounds in the body positive movement. So that's where it really directed me to go into intersectionality, to look into diverse women in the body positive community. So the CSUSB Student Research Competition lets you explore and also network with people from different departments and develop your research some more. It also gives you a great opportunity to present your research at the state level. All in all, whether it's a competition to move forward, you gain so much because you receive such excellent feedback on how you can further develop the research. It sounds like participating in this research symposium helped to improve and enrich your research. Yes, most definitely. And it also brings out some weaknesses in my research, some areas to further develop, some areas to incorporate or some things to cut out, but it does highlight and illuminate some things that I need to work on. But research is always a work in progress. I never see it in a negative way receiving, receiving this feedback because I, I see it as constructive. It's meant to benefit you. They're not meant to tear you down. You will learn so much from it. It also gives you more of an understanding of what your research is about. So if you're able to talk about it and teach others, then it shows your understanding of what you're doing. Something that we've also mentioned here at LPDCast before is that feedback is a gift, right? It can seem difficult sometimes, but when we reframe and we think about feedback as the potential for improvement, then I think it allows us to embrace it more and not take it as personally, because like you're saying, they're not tearing down your research. They're highlighting an area of opportunity that now you have the gift of knowing that there's that area of opportunity so you can zero in there and strengthen that research or strengthen that side of your research so that it's more robust. It also sounds like you get practice in presenting in a very formal and legitimate space. Yeah, it, it is a great opportunity to practice. Oftentimes with the research competitions, it is timed because there's so many participants in there. They want you to be able to explain your research in a certain allotment of time. So I have presented my research in 12 minutes and in three. So, wow. <laughs> so um, even condensing it down to 12 minutes is a very short amount of time, but having it to chop it down to three minutes really highlights like what are the takeaways of your research? What is the purpose and what is the goal? And how is it gonna con contribute to future scholarship? So, but it is a wonderful opportunity to, to present research in any way possible because you will gain so much, so much more than, than you would think. Speaking of you needing to condense your research into three minutes, congratulations on winning first place in the three-minute thesis competition. Thank you so much, Eloy. Yeah, it was, it was a nerve-wracking experience because of COVID. It was the first time I had presented my research in person in the last two years of the program. So all the other times I had presented my research, it was on Zoom. So this okay. being in person, it was a lot to tackle. Speaking of COVID, can you talk to us about your experience as a grad student during COVID? Starting that program during COVID, and I would like to say we still are in COVID, but we now have the opportunity to be in a classroom. It's been a whirlwind. I struggled the most my first year in the program because I had to teach myself and enter that student mindset of being in a class while being at home. Oftentimes it's difficult for your family to understand that you are in school. And being in, in graduate school, some of my classes were in the nighttime. So while everyone is coming home from work or from school or having dinner, I had to excuse myself and lock myself in the room until the later part of the night. So it was very difficult because they didn't understand how challenging it is to be in grad school, let alone online, having to do all the work online, having to do the reading, the research. So it was a very challenging experience. 
But at this point, it's rewarding. I've become a lot stronger. I was able to have more open conversations with my family on where we should draw lines as far as schooling, where we need to, I feel like we worked on our communication skills a lot more because they were able to understand Lexi, she's in her room, she's doing schoolwork. But when I'm outside my room, I'm more than happy to wash the dishes, more than happy to, to sweep the room, but we had to draw lines. And it was, it, it took a long time to do that, but it was very challenging. Yeah, I can imagine as first-gen students, sometimes our families don't understand how time-consuming and how much energy and focus and attention goes into our education. And it's not because they don't care or they're trying to be insensitive. It's that they literally don't know. They haven't been there. And there are some times when we need to skip that birthday. We can't go to that holiday. We can't go to, you know, cousin celebration. And sometimes we do get some heat for it, right? Sometimes they take it personally and it may not even be our immediate family in our home. It might be our extended family where they may feel like slighted and they're like, oh, well, you don't want to be with us now or you've changed. And it's like, well, yes, change is good, but it's also for this time while we're studying, you know, it's like, it's for this time while I'm in my undergrad program or in my grad program. So what advice can you give to our listeners who are having those stressors and feel that pool of, I'm a student and I know that I need to dedicate all of this time to my education, but my family doesn't understand or my friends aren't being mindful and they're kind of pulling me and I don't know how to process it. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, so I am a firm believer in communication. So explaining to the best of your ability, the extremities of your situation. And that was very difficult for me to have that conversation with my family because they had seen me go to school as in I would drive away at early in the morning and then you'll see me come back late at night because I could not physically leave the house and come back late at night they didn't understand the fact that I was in school and it was going to be an all day experience. So part of that was having to communicate with them. And it is very difficult to go through that because it will take some time for them to process or digest what you're going through, but eventually they will catch on. The other key point that I had is to communicate with your professors. Now, I am a graduate teaching associate, so I do teach an undergraduate class. So I do have about 27 students. They're now entering college during COVID. So there's some of the classes are online, some are in person. They have to drive long and far to attend class. I tell them to communicate with me. I understand life happens, situations comes up. I am very understanding of what's going on. As long as students communicate with me, I will be accommodating to their own interests. So I have had a student say, I have not attended a family party in such a long time. I'm very understanding of it because although in our eyes, you would think, oh, it's a party. You can miss a party. You can miss an event. People's family dynamics are very different. I'm very close to my family. So although it might seem like a party, they don't know that I'm connecting with my grandma and grandpa, who's of a very old and tender age. It's all about communication. So whether that's communicating with your family of how you might need to miss a couple events, how you may need to work out a schedule. Like I told my mom, mom from nine in the morning till 12 o'clock, I am here to do any chores, to go grocery shopping, whatever you need, I'm here. But I'm hoping that you can respect from 5 p.m. until 11 o'clock at night that I will have my own privacy to do schoolwork. So a lot of that does come down to communication and I did have to work out a schedule. In addition, I had to let my professors know, hi, professor, I am a first-generation student. I do come from a low um, economic background. I 
struggle to have internet access. I may have to join from my phone. My Wi-Fi shut off. I had to drive to a cousin's house and park in front of their house to use their Wi-Fi. As long as you communicate with them, you should have a good set on, on how to go about college. It is, it is difficult, but you can get through this. Thank you. That's really good advice. That assumption that everyone has access to Wi-Fi or easy access to Wi-Fi is something that was highlighted during the pandemic when we were all at home. And what's even more baffling is the fact that before the pandemic, before you needed to heavily rely on internet, I was struggling with internet in its own. I live in a rural area. I don't have Wi-Fi in my area. So I ended up getting a job on campus to work until 11 o'clock at night while I have the opportunity to use the internet on my free time to do homework. So I would have to stay on campus until 11 o'clock just to use Wi-Fi. And this was before COVID. So it was very, very difficult. I did not have a laptop either. So I would have to use the computers at school. So when COVID flipped everyone's lives upside down, I had to find a computer. I had to find internet access. And even then, internet access has become a struggle because I know older generations makes fun of younger generations. Like, oh, you need internet to survive. Now we literally need internet to survive or else I don't know how else I would do school. So I'm grateful that they have opened up more resources so that we were able to have hotspots and we're able to get laptop loans, but it's still, it's still a hassle. It is. I agree. And thank you for sharing that with our listeners. It's, I think, part of the first gen experience of not only do we not have this academic infrastructure, oftentimes we don't have the hardware that we need. You know, like I was fortunate to receive a scholarship from my JC when I transferred over, and that's what I purchased my laptop with. Prior to, I was at the Best Buy in the unboxed sale section, and I bought my laptop, which was what I could afford, and it was slow, and it was difficult to use, but I was grateful that I had one. So getting this scholarship enabled being able to buy something that was newer, something that was faster was really great, but that's also not the experience that every student has. So there are so many ways that we can help when we ask and when we're aware of where that help is needed and who really needs it, because you've done so much in your academic experience. You've overcome so much to just be a student. And the fact that you've gone above and beyond that really demonstrates that perseverance does pay off, that you can do it that it's gonna take blood, sweat and tears, that you're gonna be exhausted, that you're gonna have to do more. And it's not necessarily fair, it's not. However, when you double down on something positive like that, you can be where Alexia is right now. You know, you can go from having to stay on campus later to participating in these different conferences, to winning these competitions, to having a support system and a community around you that knows you for who you are, for your work ethic, for your academic interests, and will do all they can to support you. Thank you so much for sharing those specific yes. experiences that I feel like will resonate with our listeners. Yes, most definitely. I've, change begins with you. So you become the figure that you've wanted. You become the person that you've desired and you wish that you would have for help. So a lot of that does come down to asking for help so and there's nothing wrong I've asked people for help multiple times and it would feel like like it feels like you're ashamed to ask for help but in reality you should not be ashamed of yourself because you need extra help you need to meet with your professors longer because you don't understand a certain concept or you are struggling financially and you need to ask someone where can you find resources for help there should be no shame in it. No shame exactly. at all. I agree. Absolutely. So in your academic career, what have you learned about yourself as it pertains to what you're capable of? I've actually learned 
the power of asking because in my undergraduate, I never asked. I was not involved in any clubs, any activities. I will just go to school and go home. I will get my homework done and call it a day. I'm so heavily involved during my graduate experience, which really opened up doors as far as just applying yourself, apply yourself to everything possible, but learn when to step back because there were periods during my graduate experience where I was overwhelmed because I had signed up for too much. But at the same time, I have gained a lot. I have learned. So even when people say no to you, you learn through the process. You learn the process, whether of applying to a job, applying to an intern, asking for letters of recommendation, or just applying for scholarships, even when it's a, when you get denied, even when they say, I'm sorry, would you not be selecting you to move forward? You learn so much during that. So the biggest thing that I've took from my experience is application. Try to apply yourself. Even when you feel like, you know, I don't think this speaks to what they're looking for in me. Like maybe they're looking, they sound like they're looking for a certain type of person, but so interested in doing it, but they're looking, just apply yourself, especially scholarships. I have applied to at least 15 scholarships and I got one. I, got one, I received one scholarship, which was the graduate equity fellowship that paid for my whole year of tuition. Wow. So it's all about application. Congratulations. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Eloy, I went to every single professor's office hours. Even if I did not have a question, I want to get to know my professors. I want them to get to know me. I think that's the biggest thing with being a student is that you want to show your character. I'm a big person on developing relationships with professors because they have so much experience and knowledge, especially in the realm of communication or whatever your career or major, your major interest is. They have so much experience connections that they could share with you and I would always want to develop relationships with them because I want them to know who I am as a student who am I as a person so that that begins by asking them questions going to office hours how was your day what did you do this weekend professor so (laughs) it's much appreciated and now that I'm a GTA I get to experience the flip side of like I want to learn about my students and I really want them to learn about me because I'm not just here to grade you I want to make an impact on your school experience so I want you to remember me we always have that teacher that you remember from your k-12 or your undergrad or your grad you want to be a part of their learning experience in a positive and impactful way that's good advice it sounds like you recommend for our listeners to interface with their professors most definitely most definitely i've I've received a couple of employment opportunities by just building connections with them. Even though I wasn't looking for an employment opportunity, they presented it to me like, are you interested in X, Y, and Z? Wow. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out I am actually. (laughs) There's so many things that now looking back, and that's the thing too, that's the key thing with being in your undergrad, graduate, wherever you are, is to reflect. I'm always reflecting on, okay, why did I think a certain way? What led me to where I'm at now? Because the person that I was yesterday is not the same person that I am today because I'm always moving forward and I'm thinking, well, why did I do it this way? How can I improve that? Or where else can I go? So it's keeping with growth. Always being self-reflexive in your whole process, no matter who, what, whatever you're at or whatever you're doing, reflect on your experience. Because then you're going to be like, I'm proud of myself because I finished this or I overcame that. Now, where else am I going to go? What is your philosophy on leadership and how do you live out that philosophy? I would say lead by example. Lead by example. So when leading others, you have to be a leader yourself. You have to lead for yourself. You can't have an influence, a positive influence on others if you're not practicing the same values. 
So you need to practice and implement the same values so that way others can see it and follow them too. What skill do you value most in a leader? A trait that I really value in leaders is when they're understanding of those who surround them, like understanding of where they sit next to you. So understanding of where each person's backgrounds from, what influences how they're going or what they're doing or what their personality is, it's an understanding of your of their own surroundings. So that way they know how to approach and how to help each individual because each individual has a different experience, has a different upbringing. And it's important to try to cater to each individual to the best of their ability. Maybe awareness too. Well, it's like awareness slash adaptability. So mm. somewhere in like a fusion of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alexia, to date, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of being a first-generation student. So not only did I receive my bachelor's in communication, I am two weeks shy of receiving my master's in communication studies. So I'm most proud of breaking the generational curse, a lot of people say, in receiving my college degree. So I am becoming the example and I'm setting the bar for others to join alongside me. So I'm, I'm really proud of that the next generation of my family will now have a college graduate and a high school graduate too. And that's what I'm most proud of. That's so wonderful. We are so close to the end of the semester. I'm so happy and so proud of you. We were in some classes. I was in my undergrad, you were completing your undergrad and seeing the progression. I'm not surprised at all because you've always been such an amazing student. Conversation I was having with my folks recently was of how proud like my uncles are or like my aunts or older cousins are of the fact that we've had this accomplishment. And I mentioned that because I've always thought of younger relatives being proud. I hadn't processed what older relatives would feel when they see us accomplish these things because oftentimes for them, they didn't have the option. And you being part of the generation that has persevered through it and really embraced the option. What does it feel like for you when older relatives, older siblings, elders in your community are proud of you, are proud of the fact that you've made it where you have so far and that you're continuing to grow in a space where oftentimes they didn't even have the choice or they weren't able to persevere through? My family definitely live and celebrate through me. So my mom, my dad, my siblings, my aunts and uncles, they had such high hopes for themselves, but they weren't able to reach them. Partially is due to the fact that they lived in a generation where Latinx community was not was being very oppressed. They did not have the resources. They lived in East Los Angeles where it was heavily, it, it's a different environment compared to where I'm currently living now. But I strongly feel and know that they were able to overcome those challenges just so I have an opportunity to. I know my mom specifically, had such high hopes and dreams, but she was unable to reach them because she did not have the same resources and support. Fortunately, she raised me and taught me to take advantage of the opportunities that I have now and to continue through schooling because she wasn't able to, she was pulled from schooling. My, my family lived in a different time. So I'm proud to not only hold these degrees for myself, is to hold it for my entire family who are unable to do it. That's really wonderful. And I think that speaks to so much of our experiences as first-gen people. Alexia, before we close out, what last words do you have for our listeners? 
continue. Keep pushing through. Because at times you may think that you're at your worst, but you can get through this. You will get through this. Just keep pushing forward and keep telling yourself why you started doing it. Remind yourself what motivated you to get there and keep that motivation with you all throughout because you will make it through. And once you make it to the other side, you're going to look back and just be so incredibly proud of how far you've come because from my own personal experience, when I look back, I had no idea how I did it. I don't know how I jumped through hurdles and hoops and ran through doors. And when one door closed, I jumped out the window. You will be so incredibly proud of yourself because although you're doing it for yourself, you're going to have such a great impact on your family, friends, and even strangers because you will become the person that you were looking for. That was my conversation with Alexia B. Martinez, my fellow CSUSB alum. Alexia attained a bachelor's degree in communication and media studies and a master's degree in communication studies from Cal State San Bernardino. Currently, Alexia is a communication instructor at CSUSB. I hope you found value in our conversation about her research in the body positive movement and the nuances surrounding how women's bodies are viewed and scrutinized in popular culture. LPDcast is produced by me, your host, Eloy Garcia. Be sure to follow us on all social media. Simply search LPDcast and please leave a review. For questions or suggestions, you can reach us at lpdcast at gmail.com. To sponsor episodes and support the future production of this podcast, visit anchor.fm forward slash LPDCAST. I'm your host, Eloy Garcia, and as always, thank you for listening.